You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Well, hello, Crossroads. How are you doing? It is so good to be with you today. Uh, Listen, whatever part of the world that you're joining us from, I just want to say welcome. Thanks for being with us here today. Thanks for being a part of our community. Uh, Our mission here at Crossroads is to lead people to discover Jesus and to follow him fully. And so we exist to help you take your next steps in your journey with Jesus, wherever you might be at, wherever you might be around the world, wherever you're at, we just want to welcome you so much to Crossroads. And guys, listen, it is, uh, it's a weird time of our world. You know, COVID is still continuing to, 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 to wreak some havoc and to kind of understand exactly what's happening. We're listening to the, to the, the officials to know what the next best step is to be. Uh, just kind of keep your eyes open for another video from me, giving you some updates on what's happening as far as the church is concerned. Uh, but even in our nation, we continue to pray for peace to come over and for justice to prevail and that we would continue to support the men and women of law enforcement while we also continue to mourn with those that have lost so much. And so if there was ever a time to pray, it would be during this time right now for so much. So I would encourage you to continue to pray wherever you're at. Now, listen, it is uh, June though. It's June. I can't even believe it. I finally got here. The kids are done. I'm not homeschooling anymore. And now the summer can finally kick off. But I don't know about you guys, but it kind of felt like summer came at us like, like this this year, didn't it? I mean, it just felt like like, are you seriously, when are you going to be happening? Like, this was, this was like Tuesday of the first week of homeschool for me. You know what I mean? Like, come on already. And, and, but now, now it's here. And, and we have no idea what it's going to look like. Um, I mean, I know that I'm probably going to go to Santa Cruz and have a mask on and be on the beach. I don't even care, like whatever it takes. But, but what I do know is that God's good. He is good, and we are going to squeeze all the memories that we can out of this bad boy, despite what COVID's happening. So we want you guys to, to do that, too. In fact, do this for me. What about you guys? Would you just maybe, what are you planning on doing this summer as a family? In, in the comments below, let us know. Where are you going? Let us be a little jealous of what you're planning on doing. Maybe it's a creative plan that you're doing. Who, who knows? But let's throw them down there, and let's do it. Because regardless of where or how the summer is going to be, I have to tell you this. We are excited about the summer at Crossroads. Guys, we've got some awesome stuff planned, like drive-in services. We've got our, our, our kids programming, our summer camp that's going to be happening. We've got so many great things that are on the horizon. You're not going to want to miss any of those. But it all starts right now with our brand new series that is called Greater. It's a series that's going to look at one of the most important people in the Bible, who is rarely talked about, and his name is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is, is fascinating, and not just because he's a man's man. I mean, the dude wore camel hair clothing, he ate locusts and honey, and he lived in the wilderness. TLC would have loved this dude. It, but he is actually much more important in the Bible than just a, a throwback fashion trendista kind of guy. No, no, no. John is actually crucial to the fabric of the Bible narrative himself. 
And, and let me explain exactly kind of what that means here before we get any further. And if you're not familiar with the Bible or God or anything, I just want you to kind of know that the Bible is actually 66 separate books that make up one complete book that we call the Bible. It was written over the course of 1,500 years by 40 different authors in, on three different continents. And it is, without question, the most scrutinized text in the entire world. But yet, it has withstood all the scrutiny and has, be, and has become the most established and proven text of all time, hands down. But what can be lost when looking at this book is that with the amount of authorship and the time and the scrutiny that it's been under, it's the fact that it is not 66 separate stories. It actually is one common story with one theme. Because everything in the Bible, from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, is about Jesus. That's right. The, the entire thing is all about Jesus. Let, let, let me explain this to you, how this works. Now, the Old Testament is the first part of your Bible. It describes the time before Jesus was actually on earth talks about how God, through prophets and judges and kings, that he guided his people, God's people, back to himself. All the while, everyone that was in there, everyone in the Old Testament, continued to talk about a Messiah that was coming. It contains unbelievable detail about this Messiah, who he's going to be born to, what, what his family line was going to be coming through, the location of his birth, the type of death that he was going to suffer, the state of his body after that death, and even that he would defeat death. There are over 400 prophecies. Now, a prophecy is, is a description of things that will come to pass but haven't quite yet. 400 of those prophecies in the Old Testament that speak to Jesus. And, and, and so, so that's the Old Testament. It's before Jesus was here. But then the New Testament comes. And this is when Jesus comes on the scene. Not as a king, but as a baby. Lives a perfect life teaches about this kingdom of God that's going to be coming, and if you believe in him as God, you can experience it. He was then murdered by the religious elite. He was buried in a tomb. He, he rose from the dead three days later. He later ascended to heaven, but with a promise to return and one day make all things right and true and just again. In, in, in short, let me just explain this. This is what the Bible is. It, it's basically Jesus saying in the Old Testament, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then in the New Testament, Jesus is like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And then Revelation says, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. But what we sometimes miss is that the Bible actually has a turning point. That's right, there's a turning point between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There is a turning point because every great story, as we know, has a turning point. I, for instance, right, like when Luke finds out that Darth Vader is his dad in Star Wars, turning point. When Bilbo Baggins discovers what he has to do with the ring in The Lord of the Rings, it's a turning point. When Simba realizes he is the true king of the Pride Lands and he has to return to fight Scar to save his land in The Lion King, that's a turning point. It's, it's the moment when, when one part of the story changes to the next section of the story. You might even call it um, a hinge, right? A hinge. Because a hinge is, is the point in the story that everything pivots on. That here was part of the story, the hinge happens, and then the next part of the story continues. I'm here today to tell you that John the Baptist is the pivot. He is the hinge point in the entire Bible. 
The entire Old Testament narrative about Jesus one day coming, it pivots on the life of John the Baptist and then the New Testament begins. And and, and we see it kind of described by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah when he says this in chapter 40, verse 3. He says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness prepares the way for the Lord, makes straight the desert a highway for our God. So so John was the one that would prepare the way for Jesus uh, into his entry onto the sea of humanity. He was the, the pivot. He was assigned to the entire world that things are going to change. They are absolutely going to change. Now, we're going to talk more about this through this entire series, but I think it helps to understand why Jesus held John in such a high regard. You can start to understand if he is the pivot of the Old and the New Testament, he's a big deal. In fact, listen to how Jesus describes John in Matthew eleven eleven. Love this verse. It says, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived... None is greater than John the Baptist. That's high praise. Jesus says that there is no one that is greater in all the world than John. So if Jesus thought this highly of this man and is a leader and is a spiritual giant, it only makes sense that we take the time for ourselves to get to know him. And and what we will see is that there is a lot that we can be encouraged by and also relate to in John's life. That through his courage and his faith and even his doubt, we can see that there there is truly none that are greater than John. But in order to fully appreciate the life of John, we have to do what we always do with someone's life. We go to the beginning. As with nearly everything that happens in the Bible, it never happens in an easy and predictable way. Never. There are always challenges, and the ones you least expect are asked to do the unexpected. And John's life is absolutely no different. Um, if you have your Bibles with you today, and, or you have your Crossroads Grace apps, would you do this for me? Would you open to Luke chapter 1? That's right, Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be at in just a second. And as you do that... I think all of us can agree today that everyone gets excited about the birth of a baby. I saw a baby today. It was awesome, right? I think one of the coolest events in life is when a baby comes, especially if the couple having the child had to battle just to be able to have this little one. Maybe they were praying for a long time for for a child to come. Maybe it was a difficult pregnancy. Maybe by a miracle they became pregnant. See, those pregnancies, those are the ones that seem to stick with you the most. And I've shared in the past about Sheree, my wife Sheree and mine's story of infertility before, but, but we know the heartache and the pain of trying to have kids and then the joy when God allowed us to be parents. It, it was a different type of joy than I've ever felt. When I held Aniston and I held Easton in my arms, it was unlike any other experience in the world. And I say that because John's parents know a thing or two about difficult and miraculous pregnancies. In fact, this, that is where John's story begins and, and where we begin our journey to learn about this great, great man. Again, if you have your Bibles with you, Crossroads Grace apps, Luke chapter one is where we're going to be at. If you don't have them, don't worry about it. It's all right. Your chat host right now will put a link in where you can go and get your own digital copy of the Bible or you can sit back and relax. We'll, be, we'll have them up on the screens for you. And and in fact, here's what I'm going to ask us all to do this week, a little interactive thing. Here's what I want you to do. I want us all, everyone, to go back and reread the passages that we go through through, throughout today. I want you to do that throughout the week. 
That, that's, that's right. I want you to take time to read the Bible for yourself and not take my words for it. And, and you might have grown up in a tradition that reading the Bible for yourself, that was off limits. You don't do that. Not here. Absolutely not here. See, the Bible, it comes alive when it's alive in you and in your life. And the only way that happens is if you make it part of who you are and not just because I told you to do it. And, and, and even if you're not a Christian here today, again, I'm so honored that you would be with us here today. I, I just want you to, and maybe you're not even sure about this whole God thing. It, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm just going to challenge you to read the Bible for a short amount of time with us for this, this, bit, of, this bit of time. And, and maybe, just maybe, see what God might want to say to you in that time. Now, I gave you all that time to give you time to find Luke chapter 1 so that we could dive into verse 5. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, let's get to know John the Baptist. It says, In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a, des a defend descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they both were very old. Now, now I always think that background helps us understand things a little bit better when it comes to the Bible. Um, after all, let's, let's, can we just not pretend like all of us understood everything that that passage just said? Like, you're not saying like, oh, of course, King Herod of Judea. And, and Zechariah and the priestly line of Abijah. That's the same line as the King Ali from Aladdin, right? I mean, I mean details are so important when it comes to John's story. So detail number one is, is that we find out that Herod, king of Judea, was in power. Now, this is important because the family of Herod will ultimately come to impact John's, John's life greatly, while also establishing for us a historical time frame to be able to work from. In other words, if you think that the Bible is just a made-up book, Luke, who's the author of the Gospel of Luke, says, um, hey, here, here, here you go. Here's some historical details that you can use to corroborate everything that I'm saying. So, number one about Herod. Number two detail is that Zechariah was part of the Abijah division of the priests. Now, this is important because most people, and, and even I, you know, before I became a Christian, started to study the Bible a lot, thought that, you know what, there's probably like a handful of priests or something like that. When in reality, if you look at 1 Chronicles 24, you'll find out that there are 24 divisions of priests that accounted for, check this out, 18,000 priests. That's right, 18,000. And Zechariah was in the Abijah division, which was the eighth of the 24 divisions. So that's the second detail. But the last detail, and perhaps the most important thing that Luke tells us, is that Zechariah was married to a woman named Elizabeth. And they were, listen, they were righteous, blameless, and childless. Righteous, blameless, and childless. But for us, the math doesn't seem to make sense. Because you would think that if you were righteous and you were blameless, then you would have a blessing. You would have a child. Yet, yet we see time and time again that good people still have hard things happen to them. Time and time again. And, and you might be in that place today. You might be thinking that God's math is not adding up in your life. You say, I was faithful. I loved my husband. And he still left. I work hard. I never missed a day of work. I still lost my job. I worked out. I, I ate right. I got enough sleep. I still got sick. And in these moments, 
when you go through them, you look at God and you say, what, what more do you want me to do? Like, say, what more do you want me to do? Why is this happening to me when I'm doing what you asked me to do? We ask God those things. Those are the hard questions that I am sure that Zach and Beth both could relate to. But what I would encourage you to do, if you're in that place today, is to keep reading. And what I would encourage you to do is not lose hope. Because sometimes God's greatest moment in your life will come when you least expect it and in his perfect, perfect plan. Look at verse 8. It says, uh, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of the incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, now I have to stop and kind of point something out here that I just think is just super, super cool. Now, let's, again, let's think about it. A priest, you might know this, a priest served in the temple two times a year for one week periods of a year, right? Two times a year for one week at a time. That was the standard union approved contract. That was job site work. They probably had like drink breaks and things like that. I'm sure it was all worked in. But, but here we see that Zach served as the, if you, if you notice here, it was the, the priest before God. This is what he was doing. This is what Zach was doing. He was the priest before God. That meant that he was the priest responsible for conducting the sacrifice before God and also the, the incense lighting. However, what you need to know is that this priestly duty right here, that was only done one time in a lifetime. Only once. Which meant that we need to put all this together for a second. That, that, that Zechariah was, was one of 24 priestly divisions. He was one of 18,000 priests and his name was drawn by a lot, right, by a lot, with a chance to be able to do something for once in his lifetime. So clearly, this is a moment that God has orchestrated specifically for Zechariah. So, so, so I say all of this, all of this, to those people that might be in the waiting room of life right now, wondering when is God going to show up? When is God going to show up? Even if we can see movement, I just want you to understand this. Even if we can't see movement, it doesn't mean that God isn't moving. Guys, in our life, that even though it doesn't seem like God is moving, it doesn't mean that he is not moving. It just means his timing is perfect. In the song Waymaker that we sing in worship, it says this. It says, even when I can't see that you're working, even when I don't feel that you're working, you never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. And it may not look like what we were expecting, but it is exactly what God is using as his blessing. Might not be what we're expecting, but it definitely is his blessing. Look in verse 11. It says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. 
He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In in, in this once-of-a-lifetime moment, Zechariah comes face to face with a completely unexpected moment God has for him. Everything that he had prepared to do was disrupted as an angel stands next to the altar and says, Hey, you're going to be a daddy. Hey, I know your wife is old and you are more in retirement mode than baby mode, but hey, baby's coming. And not just any baby, but the baby that you have been hearing the prophets talk about for hundreds of years. That's what the angel says. See, all the prophets that Zechariah would have read about, heard about, or studied describe this one that would pave the way into society, into culture for the coming Messiah. And that baby is going to be Zechariah and Elizabeth's son. The prophet Malachi would talk about it in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Zechariah has just been told that even though he thought there was no way that he and Beth would ever have a child, God just made a way for them to give birth to the way maker that could announce that the Savior of the world was coming. The way maker was about to come on the scene. However, as as God does, he uses the unexpected to do unbelievable miracles through the pain of infertility and into the home of an elderly couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. God would bring onto the human stage a man that would usher in the Messiah, the savior of the world, and his name would be John. And he would be known before he was born. John's life, it would be marked by his boldness for the Lord, and he would be setting up the, setting up the people, their hearts, for an encounter with Jesus. But Zechariah was having a hard time comprehending this whole thing. And so we read in verse 18, it says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. I guess that was the politically correct thing to say back then instead of calling your wife old. I don't know. But the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the days this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. (laughs) Now, I love the fact that the angel of the Lord identifies himself as Gabriel because Gabriel means God is my hero. And he says that he, Gabriel, stands in the presence of his hero and that his hero has sent a message specifically for Zach. But what God does in this moment is that since Zechariah was more interested in the how than the what, God silences him. And now he'll have the chance to see and to hear what God will do over the next nine months without saying a word. He will be forced to take in the power of God that is on display right in front of him. But can I ask you something? Gabriel's name means God is my hero. Is God your hero? Do do you see him as the giver and sustainer and the savior of your life? 
Or are you in a rough space with him right now? And I know that there is so much happening in our world right now. COVID, racial unrest, job in uncertainty, family stress. I, I know it's all real and it's, it's right in front of your face. And it can be easy to wonder how in the world God is part of this. Where is God in all of this? But I wonder what would happen if we were able to be like Zechariah and, and take in with our eyes and our ears all that God is doing. I wonder if there's something to be said when we, we stop interjecting what we think God should or shouldn't do or can or cannot do in our life and simply trust that he's at work. Because you should know that, that just like John, we too were known before we were born. God is going to use our lives in powerful ways if we let him. And if we do, what will happen will be amazing. And it will not only change you, but it will make a huge difference in the lives of the people that are around you. Look at what happens in verses 21 through 22 when Zechariah emerges from this encounter with the angel and with God. It says in verse 21, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. So, so apparently Zechariah must have been like a chatty Cathy or something, because when he came out, he was silent. And they're like, that ain't like Zach, what's going on? I mean, most priests, when you've given the once-in-a-lifetime chance to be able to do what you're doing, you, when you come out, you would not even be able to stop talking about it. I mean, that's what most people would do. Guys, when I had a chance of a lifetime to drive a NASCAR around the Chicagoland Speedway at, at 173 miles an hour for seven laps, you better believe I told some people about what happened in that race car. But, but, but Zach just had an experience that was better than any priest of all time. It was better than all the 18,000 priests combined, but now he is speechless to say anything about it. And he would remain that way the entire pregnancy. And I'm sure there are, there are some pregnant ladies out there right now that's saying, could I get that option for my husband for the next nine months? Like, is that possible? Like, you know. But after he got done with the priests, his priestly friends, then he had to go home and tell Elizabeth. <laughs> now, now, this should be fun, right? Hey, by the way, you're super old, but you're going to have a baby. Like, let, let's just see how this goes. Look at verse 23. It says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Don't rush past that too quickly. Uh, Elizabeth's response to this monumental moment is awesome. So awesome. You see, Elizabeth was a faithful wife, a follower of God, and she had longed to be pregnant and become a mom. That's what every woman wanted at that time. Every woman wanted. Which meant that she was a woman that every night had every right to be upset with God. A, a woman that could have, might have cried herself to sleep on some nights. A woman that could have lived a life of complete bitterness. 
By all accounts, this is how Elizabeth should have looked at her life. I mean, she was a pastor's wife for crying out loud. Aren't things supposed to go great for all of them all the time? Now somewhere, my wife Cherie is smiling just to let you know, because that ain't true. And if Elizabeth was angry, bitter, and hurt, she would have been justified by every person in the world around her. They would have said, absolutely, you're completely right. And maybe you're in a season like Elizabeth. Uh, that, uh, that disease came out of nowhere, and now your life is turned upside down. You, your friend said some nasty things about you, and now you feel really alone. You, you were heading off to college this fall, and now things are looking so much different, and it is, it's discouraging. All of these, all of these would be natural reactions to all that stuff that you're going through. Absolutely. But I want you to pay very close attention. Just because that's the way everyone says you should respond does not mean it has to be how you have to respond. Just because they say you should doesn't mean that you have to. Which is why I want us to consider closely how Elizabeth responded to the challenges that were in her life. Because she chose a totally different attitude and posture towards God. And it says some very important things. It says, she says that the Lord has done this for me. For me. She said that, she said that he has shown his favor. He has done this for me. He has shown his favor. She chooses to stay focused on the fact that God is faithful and she is glad with whatever he allows her to have. Her, her humility and her faith and belief in God, that God is good, kept her from going to some dark places of her mind and her soul. And it let her stay focused on the fact that God is always working and God is always good. And sometimes we need those gentle reminders that God is good despite what we're going through. We all need them. Now, I, uh, I remember a time um, when I was playing professional baseball back in South Dakota. Um, and it was, it was an interesting time because when, when I played, it was, it, was, it was so humbling that people would invite me to different um, establishments or invite me to different schools to be able to do appearances. And uh, we would go to different hospitals and see different people. But uh, one, one has been etched in my memory for the rest of my life. And I remember a time that I went to a hospital, a children's hospital, but this was a different type of hospital. This, this was a hospital that was for, for kids with special needs and disabilities. And it was different floors of this hospital that we would go to, and on different floors were different types of patients that were, that were there. And I remember on one particular floor we were there, and it was one of the, one of the floors where the, the kids were a little bit more ambulatory and a little bit more interactive, but they, they still were in wheelchairs and they still had some, some things that were going on. And, and some were in wheelchairs, some, some might have had drool and some might have uh, yelled or screamed or shouted out, or whatever. But, but on that floor, um, there was a pool table. And so we were, we were trying to play pool with the kids and and, uh, and as we were playing pool, I kind of just kind of took a break for a second. And I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. All of a sudden, I felt this like light tap on my leg. And I looked over, and there was a sweet girl in a wheelchair. And she looks up at me, and she says, hi. And I said, hi, how are you? My name is Brian. 
And she looked up and she says, hi, my name is Shanna. I said, hi, Shanna, how are you? And we got to talk. And as I got to talk to Shanna, I got to learn a little bit about her life. I, I said, um, you seem to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more uh, ambulatory than some of the, the people that are here on this floor. I'm curious why you're, you're on this floor. And she says, well, um, I was on another floor, but the, the, they, they abused me on the other floor, and um, they brought me down here for my safety. And, and you can see that I, I really can't speak with a lot of these, because they, a lot of these other patients, because they can't speak. And so I, I'm, I'm really alone. I said, well, well I'm, I, I, I certainly hope that your mom and dad, they probably come and visit you, and you get a chance to see them often. And she says, well, my mom died when I was four. And part of the reason that I'm here is because my dad used to abuse me. And so they brought me to the hospital so that I can be safe. And I'm usually not speechless. And I was quiet for a couple of minutes. And the only thing that I could say is I said, I'm sorry, Shanna, I'm so sorry. And I remember like it was yesterday that that little girl with those hazel eyes, she looks up at me and I couldn't even finish the sentence. She says, oh, but Brian, God is good. Oh, Brian, God is good. This little girl that had lost her mom when she was four, was abused by her father, was being hurt by other kids at the, the location, was lonely. The only thing that she could say is, oh, Brian, God is good. So how do we get to a place of contentment? How do we get to a place in contentment in the fact that in what God has for us? How, how are we able to say, the Lord has done this for me. He has shown his favor. Oh, but God is good. How do we get there? Guys, it's, it's when we realize that our life matters. Every life that is stamped with the image of God matters. And, and, and that God's story is never done being written in our lives. Why? Because just like John was known before he was born, you and I were known before we were born. God knew. Listen, we may not be known by the world, but we are known by God. We are known by God. Before we ever took our first breath, he knew us. Jeremiah 1.5 tells us that before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God knows us, and he has a plan for us. And in many ways, we are the ones that will pave the way for people to know Jesus. We are the hinge. 
We are, by the way that we live our life, by the, what we say, by how we treat each other, by the way that we live out our faith, we can be the hinge that shows people what a life looks like before him and a life looks after with, with him in your life. We can be that hinge. And it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what social media says. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what CNN or Fox News says. It matters what God says. He says, you matter. Every life matters. You can be a hinge between the old life and the new life. That could be you and that could be me. Just as we'll see that John was sent for this time in this place. We were sent by God for this time in this place. You are not an accident, and neither is your calling. Paul would say it this way, Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Your life matters. Because you were created to matter to someone else's life too. That's why you matter. You were made on purpose, for a purpose. Because your life matters because you might be the hinge for someone to know Jesus. I wonder... If what our world needs to hear right now is that every story matters. That every life imprinted by the Imago Dei of God is created by God on purpose for a purpose. That God does not make mistakes. That he is not tinkering with humanity to get things right. Every person's story matters because God is the one writing on the pages. You, you and me, we can be the hinge, the hinge for someone's life. Because at some point, there was a hinge for us. At some point, our life was without God. We were lost in our sin. We were, we were destitute. We were broken. We were a mess. But maybe it was a person. Or maybe it was a time. But there was a hinge point in our life where God got a hold of us and our life changed forever. And there are people out there that still need to know that message. People that are broken, or hurting, or grieving, or lost. They need you to be the hinge in their life to share Jesus with them. And if you're not a Christian here today and you're watching us right now, I want you to know that we love you, that Jesus wants to be the hinge in your life that changes everything for you, that your old life can be gone and your new life can begin and it hangs on the balance of Jesus Christ. And what we celebrate at communion is why this matters so much. Because Jesus didn't just come and say, hey, I'm here. Good luck. No, he came, he lived, and he died a brutal death on that cross so that you and me can be saved. That his grace can be the hinge that saves your life for all eternity. 
You, my friend, were known before you were born. Your life has purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is to live your life for Jesus, to live it for him with all that you have, and to make this world a better place for Jesus. But it's only possible because of what the cross represents. That if we give up our old life, we accept Jesus, we have a new life in him. So as you prepare your hearts for communion today, what I'd invite you to do is consider where you're at, to consider what this world needs from your life and know that it will only, it will only impact the world to the most level it possibly can with Jesus in it. And that your story matters because your pages are still being written on by God himself. Believe that. Trust that. Know that Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, very simply we come before you and we thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his love and his grace. Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, for being the hinge that would take our old life and our new life and allow us to be found in your presence. God, if there's anyone out there right now today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I beg that right now they would call out your name. Jesus, be the pivot in my life. Be the hinge in my life. I want my old life gone. I want the new life that you offer. I repent of my sins. I embrace you as my Savior. I want you to change me. My life matters now because you are in it. God, you tell us that if anyone does that, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I pray that many would do that here today. And Father, I just lay this all before you and ask that your spirit would move as we remember you, Jesus, at this communion. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.